0: Rachel, welcome to Chicago. Yeah, You were in late. Everybody's flight was delayed.
1: Yeah, mine was only canceled, um, delayed for four hours. So I guess I'm lucky that it wasn't full out canceled.
0: So you're the business insider reporter that covers trucking. Yes. And you've had a perspective. It's, I mean, you're new to this industry. You're a female, which is not the typical uh, writer, young female riding for trucking. But, um, and that's been interesting because you've gotten perspectives uh, and, and part of a major media outlet.
1: right. Yeah, it's, it's been definitely interesting covering trucking for Business Insider because uh, we didn't cover logistics before in any way, um, but it's, it's definitely interesting because, you know, in New York, people don't really have this concept that logistics and trucking and all these sorts of parts of the economy are actually why we have anything, uh, so it is kind of funny kind of to uh, educate some people on, like, why this is a thing, why this is something we need to track. Because um, mostly the discussions around finance or tech or these sorts of topics, so I'm really happy to bring in some logistics conversation. Now, how
0: did you get into the logistics beat? It seems like an, an unusual beat for a mainstream media. I mean, frankly, there's only a couple of media outlets that have dedicated, you know, the journal has dedicated resources. Right. Uh, but Business Insider it seems like a, a sort of a different fit.
1: Right. So I um, wrote one story about trucking uh, early last year. It was around the time of the ELD mandate. So after that, there was quite a bit of traffic, quite a bit of traction for that story. And after that, I just sort of thought that okay, this is a really important beat. This is something that people aren't really covering or talking about. So I better look more into this. Um, so and you know, before that, I actually covered uh, the South Korean economy. So I'm just really into covering things that. People aren't talking about as much, basically.
0: Now, how does it? I mean, you've written some headlines, you've gotten some con, you've got created some controversy in the industry, um, talking about and used the term bloodbath, which has become an incredibly polarizing uh, point of view. What is that? Yeah. Why did you write those headlines, and why do you think there's a bloodbath going on?
1: So, in the spot market, rates have dropped pretty significantly from last year, and this is just what truck drivers have been saying, that there is a bloodbath going on in, the, in rates, going on in how much money they're taking home. And there is definitely some pushback for this term because you talk to CEOs or analysts, they kind of are a little more careful. They wouldn't say that there's a recession. They wouldn't say that there's a significant um, downturn in any rates or anything along those lines. They would say more along the lines of, you know, it's somewhat of a downturn from last year, but last year was the rates were so high, et cetera, et cetera. Um, So I have been trying to look at it from the perspective of the working class person, of the person who's actually doing the job, who's in the industry and noticing that their pay is decreasing quite a bit. Uh, So that was kind of my motivation for kind of featuring the word bloodbath in my headlines, just because it's not people aren't really talking about this issue. People aren't... I mean, waves of course, is, but your typical business outlet that covers logistics, they're not talking about how this uh, downturn, how this recession is affecting truck drivers.
0: And you're taking it really from an employment driver point of view more so than you are from the big enterprise carriers.
1: Right, yeah. And I think that's important because there's 1.8 million long-haul truck drivers. No one's really talking about them. No one's talking about... The issues that You're talking making. about mainstream media. Is, no one's talking about Right. Them. Yeah, exactly. Exactly.
0: The, the, the driver shortage has become also, it seems like that is the term that dry, just fires drivers up, is the, the concept of a shortage. We wrote a piece about the fact that, fundamentally, the capacity shortages at times, but to have a fundamental driver shortage is, dismisses the fact that, ultimately, it's, a, it's a, based on price, supply and demand.
1: Right, and that's something that you know. Even the Bureau of Labor Statistics, and with the Department of Labor, they found that there's not actually a truck driver shortage. It's just that basically drivers aren't being paid enough. So if we saw the wages increase, then we would probably have less of a shortage. And um, one other key point is that you know the average driver age is between fifty to fifty-five years old. So there is definitely an issue with attracting millennials and Gen Zs to the industry, but. That could be solved in many cases by changing the salaries and taking another look at how compensation works. Because it's a hard job. You're away from your home uh, for weeks at a time. You're working 80 hours a week. It's something that people need to be compensated properly for.
0: I mean, do you think it's fundamentally just the, the lifestyle factors that get drivers fired up? Or in their view, is it the lack of, in their view, lack of pay?
1: I think it's both. I think it's kind of... You know, when, when you kind of looked at uh, folk movies in the 70s and 80s. Convoy. Yeah, yeah. yeah, there is always this, like, there is basically a folk hero over the American trucker, and now they're seen as, um, like, uneducated, overweight. All these sort of negative stereotypes now follow truck drivers, and I think that that's kind of a shock for them, especially for those who entered the industry um, in the late 20th century. Uh, they're kind of shocked that now they're no longer the American folk hero. They're kind of like the butt of the joke, basically. But do
0: you think, I mean, drivers that enter the market, do you think that's how they feel? Or do they do they have this perceived notion when they come into the industry that mm-hmm. it's they understand the work? Or is your view that they... They have a naive or an uninformed perception of what it's actually like because I, I, yeah. I see it from a different perspective. I know how difficult it is for carriers to retain right. and recruit drivers and keep them. I mean, but it seems like that is sort of known. But there's this other narrative out there that's I don't see the glamorous side. I, I wouldn't think that that would be a, that people would believe that.
1: I, I, yeah, and I, I think maybe for older drivers there is still that glamorous folk hero type of. Uh, atmosphere around it, but I think for younger drivers, there's not really, that's not really a thing anymore. I totally agree with you. I, I, it is hard to kind of understand where the glamorous side of it is, but from drivers I've spoken to, a lot of them talk about, mm-hmm. you know, I have increased independence, like I don't have a boss, I'm just on the road, it's just me. Um, and the open road, I see all of America, I see all of Canada, these sorts of things. Um, so it's it definitely a different sort of appeal than something that I would look for in a job, but it, I can sort of understand why they see this sort of appeal of just not having any boss, just being out on the road, and it's just them, and they so kind of are in control of their own destiny in some way. You
0: write these articles. You've got to, I know because we write them. I, I stopped looking at our Facebook page, because it's... <laughs> if we write something that fires them up, they respond. <laughs> um, but I'm curious, what is it that what is the most, uh, what triggers them the most in terms of the stuff that you write? Is it the bloodbath articles? Is it the driver shortage concept? Like, where are they really getting fired up? What's emotional
1: for them? You know, they're still talking quite a bit about the ELD mandate, which is interesting to me because I thought we all had to comply to that by the end of 2017. Um, so that's something that they still are talking about quite a bit is ELDs. I think just this idea of their rates dropping so quickly. So it seems like in 2018, spot rates were going up so much, a lot of them left their companies and became owner-operators. And now that rates have dropped so much, they thought that they had complete control of their destiny as owner-operators, as independent business owners, and now it seems like they will have to go back into the company driving or something along those lines. So I think any discussion that threatens their independence, threatens their freedom. That's what really gets them fired up. So last year's ELDs, because now they're being tracked by the government for the first time is what kind of their understanding but they're, I mean,
0: technically, the government's not tracking them. Yeah, but yeah. I, I their hours are being... Drivers like. are convinced that there's a, a big room in at yeah. the ATA that's, like, monitoring their activity. Yeah. Uh, uh, but we know that's not true. Yeah,
1: yeah. I think just any... It, it changes every year, but any topic that says my independence is getting... Um, threatened, my way of life is getting threatened because, I mean, kind of what we were saying earlier, I think so many of them get into the truck driving profession just because because they can have independence, because unlike most blue-collar work, um, you're not being tracked, you're not being overseen, you're not having to interact with customers all the time. It's kind of a unique blue-collar job, a unique sort of um, lower-wage work in that you don't actually have to be Beholden to customers, beholden to a boss. It's so. I think that's kind of why. So a lot, they A get, streak
0: of independence. To yeah, them. exactly. I mean, what, what do you find that uh, when you write things that they're most proud of? I mean, I'm sure you get some yeah. some comments that are positive, not just angry.
1: Yeah, I, a lot of them are very happy just that I'm covering the the job of the truck driver. Um, I think they just really like the idea of getting their name out there, um, featuring the the good sides of the job, featuring what needs to improve. I think they just like any attention because there's really just not that much being done to cover them
0: and it 's a main i mean it's a major news outlet with lots of traffic that 's actually focusing on their industry right that has you know whether they agree or disagree has a has a perspective on what 's happening
1: and right. actually
0: goes into the story
1: right exactly but
0: you i mean personally because we're both on twitter and i see the back and forth at times other media outlets have attacked you or others you know the ata or other associations have come out and you have to fend that out i mean being the reporter at business insider do you ever feel like you're on an island
1: yeah, in some ways, for sure, because you know most of the, most of my colleagues, most of my coworkers don't really know a lot about logistics. So it's kind of me trying to educate my peers, trying to educate my readers, trying to you know get the conversation going around about logistics and trucking, just like in New York, where people are not really talking about that industry at all. Um, so, but when when other sort of outlets or organizations question my reporting. I think it is important just to engage them in conversation. I think a lot of people, when they go on the attack, they just want to, like, prove that they have a certain point of view or prove the other side wrong. Um, And I definitely can relate to, I guess, their kind of motivation for doing that, but I think it is important just to step back and say, okay, I see your perspective. Why do you think that? This is what I think. Like, let's try to sort our differences, agree to disagree, Um, just because I mean, I'm, I'm a millennial. I grew up on the internet. I know kind of the mindset people take when they go on to these internet fights, when they go on to fighting in, in the public sphere, um, so.
0: Hiding behind a keyboard. Right, exactly, I mean, you, you had exactly. talked about, uh, I know one time you had messaged that there was a top 10, an executive at a top 10 broker had attacked you personally uh, had you had said something and they just went after you personally
1: right yeah that was my first um bloodbath recession type article they emailed me saying you know something along the lines of like you should educate yourself more like you should maybe go into an industry that's more like women dominated like you should ask like some of the older guys in your office like what they think about this instead of like writing something and it was from
0: lines. a company corporate address right yeah which not smart by them
1: yeah, I mean, if you're going to send me something like sexist and ageist, do it from your Gmail. Don't do it from your
0: company Be <laughs> <The> an- anonymous. <laughs> uh, so, Rachel, where, where is it you find, you know, there's a lot of pride in the industry, particularly the drivers. Uh, oftentimes this is, in, in many drivers' minds, this is some of the time where they've had success. They can manage their own life. They don't sometimes have a boss or at least don't want one or don't have to sort of report in. Mm-hmm. I mean, where do you find that they're most proud of in terms of, like, what they're doing and what, I mean, messages for carriers, how would they, they want to communicate to the drivers. What should they take from what you've learned about?
1: That's a good question. I think if you are a carrier who's looking to recruit, which I'm sure everyone is, um, obviously increasing Everybody's pay recruit, is, yeah, so. obviously increasing pay, but that's, that's hard, that's easy to say, but hard to do, um, is, you know, just, Increasing that number, especially uh, in today's freight environment. I think speaking to their interest to have um, speaking their interest to have an independent life, to be able to create their own schedule, to um, you know not be beholden to brokers or be beholden to other sorts of larger um, the larger entities, the man or the right. System. Yeah, they, they are very yeah. against the man, very against the government. <laughs> it's it's kind of interesting to. Get to know this it's, kind of They're against the for government, sure. but
0: they, if you say anything negative, against Trump. They lose it.
1: Yeah, so. it is kind of funny because they talk a lot about how you know the Motor Carrier Act of 1980 ruined trucking, but then they're also very against regulations. It's like, well, you know, the MCA deregulated <laughs> trucking. Like, wait, what's? Are you for regulations or against regulations? It's, it's kind an of, interesting. We wrote it's an article
0: <laughs> about playing, talking about emissions in the Tesla uh, truck. We wrote an article about planting trees, and yeah. you would thought we were I was Al Gore when I wrote it. It was like, just plant trees. If you want to <laughs> mitigate your carbon footprint, it's cheaper to go plant trees than it is to buy an electric vehicle, but that was, uh, that was interesting. Yeah. I, I, I tell John Paul Hampstead, who's JP, he's one of our writers, when he first came here, his sample piece, because we require all of our reporters to bring a sample... Was something, and it had one line there about Trump and Puerto Rico, and I was like, dude, you can't, he's like, well, it wasn't even political. I was like, can't mention it, because you are going to get a lot of hate mail if, it's, yeah. if it even implies anything.
1: Yeah, yeah. I wrote an article about how more truck drivers are moving against Trump, especially, you know, considering 2019's difficult environment, um, some tax regulations that were passed under Trump. Um, weirdly, I didn't get a lot of negative feedback for that. It was mostly... Like, yeah, you're right. Like, we, we don't really like him anymore. We're not going to vote for him in 2020. Did you we say
0: haven't... he has not overturned the ELD mandate?
1: I did not mention the EOD mandate. Okay, because that's probably why. I should have. Yeah.
0: <laughs> there's, um, you know, a lot has happened in transportation. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of stuff around, you know, cannabis has become a really toxic uh, issue for the industry because mm-hmm. you have states deregulating marijuana, federal. Uh, uh, has not deregulated it, mm-hmm. and you have drivers that are loaded with cannabis that drive across state lines, and it's created these issues. Have you guys? Have you guys had? A couple
1: this of is issues? something I wanted to cover, um, especially. It's especially interesting for interstate because my home state of Michigan uh, just deregulate or uh, legalized recreational marijuana, and obviously Michigan's extremely cold, much like <laughs> Chicago. Um, um, so it'd be interesting to see where they're going to grow that and how they're going to. Um, Stock those dispensaries in Michigan. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's unfortunate.
0: <laughs> oftentimes, drivers don't even know what they're hauling. But there was, right. a, was an interesting article that Business Insider covered last week, I think it was, about cross border contraband, moving across border contraband. And we happen to have the person that got in trouble for moving cross border contraband here today. I want to invite Jason Gonzalez on stage to sit down with Rachel and I and tell his story about what got him into trouble. So, Jason?
2: <laughs> hello, hello. Hey. So, so, Jason, your first time on stage, right? For sure, first time being up so,
1: here.
0: So, Jason, you got in trouble for moving Krispy creams across state lines.
2: Yeah, I uh, got an unfortunate phone call saying, hey, uh, we found out you're Transporting some Krispy Kremes across the border cease and desist got to shut down and that's kind of how everything snowballed uh, Where it is today. So tell me the story about how you got into the Krispy Kreme arbitrage business. Oh, yeah For sure. I was coaching soccer at the time last April and we had a tournament down in Iowa My girlfriend Alyssa she'd never had a Krispy Kreme donut So I figured well, we're going there for sure. I'm making sure she's getting a donut. They're good stuff. Oh, they they they're phenomenal And then I was selling on the Facebook marketplace on the time And figured, you know what, maybe some other Minnesotans will want some Krispy Kreme. Because we haven't had them in 11 years. So I went on the page of Facebook Marketplace, made a post. And sure enough, I'm like, hey, anyone wants some? Next day later, 300 replies. Saying, hey, you know, give me some Krispy Kreme. I want to get in on it. And then I ended up making the run. We were just packed in the car. I could only do about 50 dozen. We didn't modify my car at the time. You're
0: doing this in your your car.
2: Yeah, my Ford Focus Sedan. And pack them full of donuts full-on of donuts. I mean, at the end, I was hauling about 100, donut, 100 dozen, but right away, I could only do 50 to 60, and then made a run, went good, did a run about two weeks later, went good, and that's how I kind of went, uh-huh, you know, this is turning into legitimate business. So, I created the Krispy Kreme Run Minnesota Facebook page, and sure enough, seven to eight months later, we kind of are where we are today. So you got, you got into, um, so Krispy Kreme finds out about this as an article.
0: Yep. They send you a C and d it's cease and desist. They say you can't, you're no longer allowed
2: to arbitrage donuts across state lines. Yeah, You're not allowed to bring them. You can't do that. Well, it was more of a phone call rather than a letter. Okay. So it was one of the managers in Nebraska saying, hey, you know, I found out because I had an article written about me from the Pioneer Press. And they said, hey, you know, we found out about the article, cease and desist over the phone. Yeah. And you've been doing this for months. You've been, sell, you've been delivering the donuts,
0: selling the donuts, uh, making a lot of money pay off the student lunch, right? Correct.
1: Now, Jason, why Krispy Kreme over Dunkin'? <laughs> That's what I want to
0: know. <laughs> it's honest, like Church and State right here.
1: Yeah,
2: I mean, to be honest, I've never had a Dunkin' Donut. Oh, I man. mean, my family kind of grew up on the Krispy Kreme when they were around. I mean, we'd always go to the Coon Rapids one. And then when they were gone, you know, I could never have Krispy Kreme again unless we made a drive.
0: So you've gotten shut down. Krispy Kreme has
2: told you to stop. Why did they tell you to stop? What was the reason? They said it was too much of a liability and sales tax issue, and that was kind of the reason why they wanted me to shut down. I mean, their main goal was just making sure I was delivering fresh donuts, no stale, one- to two-day-old donuts, you know. So they really wanted to make sure that I was preserving the freshness, bringing that same Krispy Kreme quality that they held uh, their stores. So you
0: post this on social media that you've been shut down. Folks in Minnesota are really upset. It gets picked up by mainstream media, Business Insider picks it up, and other outlets. All of a sudden, it becomes a huge story, and then Krispy Kreme relents.
2: Yeah, so I mean, as you know, it just kind of snowballed into this huge story, and I had media outlets covering it from, you know, United Kingdom, Brazil, Africa, just all over. And then Krispy Kreme found out, because they were getting a lot of negative press, and then I got a call from the COO, Maria, and she's like, hey, Jason, you know, we actually found out, um, we kind of heard about what's been going on and we want to support you, so. So now your business is back, You've got, you have the ability to deliver Krispy Kreme donuts to Minnesota? Well, not officially, I mean, it's back in the fact that Krispy Kreme is supporting me now, but there's still just a couple more hoops I have to go through, which I should hopefully go through by Friday. Okay. From that point on, I'm hoping I can continue the runs and make run number 20.
0: So back in December, you'll be, you'll be
2: back in business, hopefully. I'm hoping. I mean, trying even getting a run in the end of November would be crazy cool. Well, we saw this article, and it came across uh,
0: our news outlet about the fact that you're trying to pay off your loans to, uh, by selling donuts, which seems like a really awesome thing as an entrepreneur. As a fellow entrepreneur, I thought, you know, there is an opportunity to do something for you to help support your goals. So we made a couple phone calls. Our friends at Daumler Trucks North America are actually donating a van, a Sprinter Freightliner van to support you in your donut run business. So um, I want to thank our folks from Daumler. Um, This is his van. So You now can run thousands of donuts uh, to the folks in Minnesota. That is, that is incredible. That's a Krispy Kreme-mobile. It is a Krispy Kreme-mobile. So unfortunately, Domler has been delayed uh, due to weather in Portland and could not make it. But they send their regards to you, want to support you in your uh, uh, entrepreneurial efforts. Uh, we here at Freightways applaud Freight All Kinds. Donuts are a really important commodity, so keep it up. <laughs> But let's, uh, as as an industry, this is the type of story we all should be proud of. So, congratulations uh, and best of luck. Thank you very much. I appreciate it.
2: Holy cow.